Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark, one of the pastors here, and this is E3. We are going through a series uh, through the Beatitudes, and uh, we're calling it Inverted because the Beatitudes are very countercultural to uh, our native or uh, understanding of how to achieve happiness in this world. One kind of cool thing is um, um, the church that, I, that Shannon and I came from in Los Angeles, they're also going through the Beatitudes right now. And I was talking with my pastor friend, Pastor Jason at Journey of Faith uh, there in Manhattan Beach. And we were talking to us, I was like, so where are you guys in it and everything? And, it, and, it, and we were talking about it. It comes, I came to find out that we are one week ahead or one ahead of them in the Beatitudes. So hashtag winning. So, uh, so I told Pastor Jason I was going to mention that, that they're, they're slow. So, uh, so we're continuing on, and you might want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, but we're going to be all over the place today, so have your Bibles ready. Some of the scripture is going to be on the, on the screen and in your fridge fold, not all of it. Uh, but the next beatitude uh, or uh, way to achieve uh, happiness, uh, according to Jesus, is God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And I got to tell you, I, knowing that I was going to be speaking about this today, and, and honestly, just with all the uh, current events that are happening right now uh, uh, in Baltimore uh, with, uh, with uh, Freddie Gray, and then what happened in Ferguson with Michael Brown, and, and then just right here in Florida with Trayvon Martin, there's been a lot of talk about justice. And we hear uh, conversations or people saying uh, no justice, no peace. We hear that uh, uh, there's, a, there's a segment of our society who, who does not, uh, is not afforded the same uh, justice that other people in our American society are afforded. And uh, thankfully... Um, you know, I have a good friend who, who goes here, uh, Desmond, who, who is an African-American gentleman, and we've had some really great conversations about this. But, you know, just this, this conversation of justice and man's justice versus divine justice, that it's one of these things that, that we hear this word again and again and again. And I, I don't know about you, but, but for me... Um, I wonder what my responsibility is. I wonder how to respond. I wonder how to, how to feel. Uh, had great conversations just after the first gathering and just, uh, just you know, how some people have hijacked uh, people's constitutional right for peaceful, peaceful protest and to ask questions for personal gain and looting and how that even makes it uh, even more convoluted. So, you know, it, it's difficult for me as as kind of talking about these things as a, as a white male who's never 
been a minority in America and have never been in, uh, lived in the inner city and these challenges that trying to navigate these things. So I just wanted to just be really open and honest that this has been uh, a journey for me uh, as well. And I understand that there's lots of kind of different ideas about this, but what I'm really going to try to focus on uh, is the ideal. What, what it, when God says, or when Jesus said, you know, that, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. What was Jesus talking about? And how can that inform us as we, we move forward and, and try to be people of faith and people of righteousness in this broken world where there are different people in, in our society who, who, who uh, are not treated the same way that maybe other people in our society are, are um, taken care of. So uh, the first thing that I, that I did was I, I looked at this word justice, uh, the, the actual Greek word that, that Jesus was, was using, and this word is dikaiosini. Dikosini, and it actually cover, uh, uh, has a very different meaning than maybe how we understand justice uh, from the standpoint of, of uh, making things right. It carries that with it, but, but it carries with it more of this divine justice. And even more so, uh, 92 times it was actually not tra translated as justice in 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 the New Testament, but actually uh, defined as righteousness. Now, I think righteousness is one of these funny words that we hear a lot, but we don't necessarily really think about the etymology of the word and, you know, really what does that word mean? It reminds me uh, when I was a little kid and I would watch the newlywed game. <laughs> right? Wow. What, you're judging my parents? <laughs> so the newlywed game, right? And, uh, uh, you know, there was always crazy things. I always watched this newlywed game, and, and, and you know, there's funny things. You know, you guys know the premise of the game? You, the younger people here may not know. Basically, they have newlyweds, and, and they'd ask them questions about each other to see if they knew each other and things like that. So... You know, and I think they'd win a trip or, or something like that if whoever won. So uh, uh, I remember when I realized, and I don't remember how I quite realized it, but the word newlywed was actually newly wed. This is very profound to me <laughs> as an as a eight-year-old. Obviously, nobody else has had this kind of, anybody, come on, nobody else, thank you, there we go, coming to the hall of shame, I guess, so the, you know, I just, I just, you know, you just hear words and you don't really ever think, you know, where, what is that word? I just figured that's what you called newlyweds, well, yeah, so, so, uh, the, I believe that the word righteousness 
is a lot like this, that, that righteousness, what is that? Oh, that's being holy, or righteousness is being good, or righteousness is, you know, not sinning a lot, or, or, or something like that. But righteousness really carries w- with it uh, this, this very simple, like the newlywed game, being right in the ideal state, essentially. And righteousness, bringing things and and existing in a right relationship with God and people and nature. That's really, when we're looking at righteousness, that's what we're talking about. And those who hunger and thirst for justice are actually hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And this is where it gets really, really cool. These words, hunger and thirst, they're, they're actually uh, uh, sayings. They're not really talking about literally being hungry or, or thirsty, but something much deeper than that. The, the word that Jesus has used here for hunger is panal, and the word for uh, thirst is uh, deep sow. And these words actually carry with them this, this deep desire this desire, something that you desire so much that it actually brings you physical pain. Physical pain. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And, and he's saying, you know what? Blessed are those, happy are those that actually want people, want, want God's kingdom to come now and for people to have a right relationship with him and a right relationship with other and a right relationship with God's creation that, that they actually, they hurt when they see people who are not experiencing that. And then he says, he tags on to that. He says, you know what? Those who hunger and thirst, those who hurt for righteousness, for a right relationship with God, people and creation, that they will be satisfied. And in my journey this week, I thought about satisfaction, right? And I was thinking about about those who have hijacked um, people's legitimate concerns about what it means to be a, a young black man in America. And they've used it for personal gain and and looting and, and, and different things like that and, and destroying things. And you have to ask yourself the question, are they satisfied? Were they satisfied when they looted the CVS? Were they satisfied when they burned down a building? Were they satisfied? Let me put it on us. Are we ever satisfied when when? We demand justice for ourselves. Is there, uh, or we seek revenge? Is there, uh, in anger? Is there really ever a a sense of satisfaction? And I was thinking about this this beatitude, right? And and Jesus saying, "Look, those who hunger and thirst for justice, for divine justice, for righteousness, that that they will experience this satisfaction, this this peace." And that led me to start thinking, well, what what is the difference between man's justice and divine justice? And I came up with four, and I uh, just wanted to share those with you. 
the first kind of com uh, compare and contrast is man's justice demands retribution. It demands retribution. But the really cool thing about divine justice is that God pays the price. And this is our understanding of the gospel, right? That, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's uh, uh, glorious standard, that the wages of sin is death. That is the price. That is, that is justice. But God says there has to be death. But instead of making you pay that price for, for what happened, that I am going to pay that price. So instead of demanding retribution, which God had every right to do, that, that he instead paid the price. If you turn to your, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul writes it this way. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, made right, right with God, right with other people, right with nature through the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship. In your Bible, you may want to circle that word relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. And then Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul writes, The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And here we have these, these two scriptures, and there's, there's many others that that are talking about justice. They're talking about righteousness. And, and instead of God demanding us to pay the price, that instead he pays the price for us. And I think it's really interesting. There's a, there's a word that I asked you to circle that, that keeps is a reoccurring word, and that word is relationship. And I think that the, the closer... We are with one another. The closer we relationship we have with God and others and, and, and with, with creation, the more likely we are going to experience divine justice, that we are going to offer divine justice. And the farther away we are from relationship, the more we tend to fall into man's justice. I mean, think about it, and, and probably all of us have had a friend do this, like get a ding in our car or, or do something, right? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, we've all, or something like that. They've, they've damaged your property, but you love them, and you say, it's okay. 
I'll take care of it. You lie to your friend, right, because it's not okay. <laughs> but, 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 but you love them that, that you say, you know what? In this divine justice, because we are so close, because we are so, you know, that, that we love one another, that, that we're important to each other, that, that, that this damage that you did to me, I am not going to demand you pay a price. In fact, I am going to pay the price because the relationship is that important to me. Now think about the other side when it's, when it's them, or they damaged your car. They are bad people. <laughs> they need to pay, right? So the farther you get away from the relationship, the more demanding of, of earthly or, or man justice that, that we want. And this is just the nature in, uh, of it. And this is where a lot of times, you know, when when damage is perceived from an unknown person or entity or, or we, can, we can somehow remove ourselves from any personal connection, a lot of times our behavior gets worse and worse and we get farther and farther away from divine justice. The next one that, that I thought was really interesting and very difficult, very difficult for me and I'll, I'll be really open with it, is that man's justice takes where divine justice offers. Jesus says something that I really don't like in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. You don't like it either. So, But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. You say, man, I say, I'm going to turn that person's other cheek for him. That's man's justice, right? I mean, think about it. This is difficult stuff. Do not resist an evil person. That's hard? Yeah, because it is an affront to our sin nature to demand our own justice, to take control. If a person slaps you on the right cheek, Offer the other one. Don't take them down. Yeah. The next one, wanderers and remain. Man's justice wanders where divine justice remains. Check this verse out. Second John, verse 9. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. There we go, the relationship. And if you wander, the farther you wander away from the relationship and teachings of Jesus Christ, the more manly uh, or, or human or sin justice that you are going to demand. And again, what's the context of all this? Those of us who are, we're happy or uh, blessed if we hunger and thirst to the point of pain to be people of righteousness, for people to experience rightness with God. And then the last one, man's justice demands revenge where God restores. And I think this is really, really important. 
that, that when we're harmed, our sin nature rears up and wants revenge. You know, you killed my cow, I'm going to kill your cow and your duck. Right? That's revenge, and it escalates, and it escalates. It demands revenge. That, that uh, Paul writes in Romans 12, 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous, perfect anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. And divine justice always restores. It doesn't take revenge. Revenge tears down where divine justice restores people to a right relationship with God, a right relationship with people who they're in community with, and a right relationship with creation. That we are to be people of righteousness. People who feel physical pain when we see others not experiencing rightness with God and people in creation. That we want to invite them into a restoring relationship where they they are blessed by the relationship that God designed them to have. And then I wanted to use this verse just as a, as a bridge between uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied and uh, for God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. It is found in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what's required of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And ultimately, we have to walk in humility to be people of righteousness. That we don't we can't assume that our past experiences are absolutely correct or our point of view because we're not looking to win an argument we're looking to invite people into relationship and the way you do that is very very different so verse 7 in Matthew 5 God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, mercy, this word is so important in throughout Scripture. There are so many different words for, for mercy, and we'll, we'll cover some of those. But I, uh, in the first gathering, I just, uh, off the top of my head, started talking about that mercy for the Christian is like snow for the Eskimo. And I said, you know what? Like the Eskimos have like seven different words for snow. Well, you would not believe how many people like got out their phones and felt they had to correct the pastor afterwards. Basically, the point was 
They got a lot of different words for snows, but snow. But if you just want to know and you want, here, here. There is argument between scholars, obviously, me not being one of them. <laughs> Princeton University says there are 15 different words for snow. And then on the other side, you have, um, you have the Washington Post that say that there are over 100 words for snow that the Eskimos use. There we go. That's because we had that moment. It was given to you by the 9 a.m. gathering because they're a bunch of nitpickers. Okay, so... Where I said in Uganda, where apparently they speak Swahili, they don't have so many words for snow because it's not part of their culture, okay? But the point being is this, that, that mercy is such a rich and... Uh, nuanced kind of word in the New Testament that's so important. Mercy is so important in, in the New and Old Testament that there are so, there's tons of different words, much like the Eskimos have, according to me, seven or maybe 15 or 100 different words for snow. Here are some of the words for mercy um, that are used. Kindness, loving kindness, goodness, grace, Favor, pity, compassion, and steadfast love. So prominent is the concept of mercy that, that it actually is the, it is coupled with the compassionate disposition of us being able to forgive an offender as well. That it's central to our Christian faith. Some different words that, that uh, times that mercy was used in the New Testament that, that we see that Jesus was moved by mercy many, many times. He came for mercy, but he also offered mercy. And I have a bunch of them on your fridge full. I'm gonna just touch on a couple of them. Matthew chapter nine, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So he had mercy for them because they did not understand about the kingdom of God being in their presence. They did not understand what was happening. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them and healed the sick. He had compassion, he had mercy. Do you know that Jesus uh, healed more people than he gave sermons in the New Testament, that he actually physically uh, uh, made them better? Matthew 20, verses, uh, or chapter 20, uh, verse 34, Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly they could see, then they followed him. And then the last one, uh, we talked about just the other uh, week, Matthew 15, where Jesus felt pity and compassion on, on the, uh, the 4,000 who had been listening to him talking, and he did the miracle of, of making more bread and fish uh, so they could eat, so they wouldn't you know, pass out and faint when they, they were going home. That compassion and mercy is, is pivotal in Jesus' ministry. 
I think one of the most profound verses in the New Testament is Jesus wept. And the, those two words are so profound because it, when Jesus wept, Jesus wept because his friend was dead and he wept for the condition of his community. He felt deeply and he had compassion and had a miracle where he raised Lazarus. I think just to, to bring clarity, and I, I love this parable of Jesus. Peter one time came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, how many times should uh, I forgive somebody? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 70 times seven. He's like, chicka what? You know, that's a lot of times, Jesus, and I'm not too good at the times tables. And so, and again, Jesus, you know, just saying like, a lot, like don't count, like keep forgiving people, be, be merciful, be charitable, be kind-hearted. And then he gives this, uh, this, this parable, and it's really hard because there's some stuff in there that, that, that it, it's difficult for us, you know, in the 21st century to kind of think about it in this certain terms. But this is how Jesus puts it. He gives this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed him money. In the process, one of his debtors uh, brought to, uh, in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, his dog, and everything he owned. Not really his dog, probably his dog, but it doesn't say that. That's an added bonus that you get by me being your pastor, to pay the debt. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. The master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Forgave it. Millions of dollars? It's all good. But when the man left the king, he went to, the, to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down and began to beg him for a little more time. Be patient with me. This should have reminded him of something. Mm-hmm. I like the mm-hmms. <laughs> Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his, uh, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until his debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw that, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. Then the king called in the man who he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. That's not going well for him and it gets worse. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured to be tortured until he had paid his debt in full. And then Jesus says, this is what my heavenly father will do to you 
if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Is Jesus serious about the mercy and forgiveness thing? I think so. Holy cow, tortured. All right. I like this story. You guys, not so much. So, all right. But I think that it elevates. Obviously, there's hyperbole there, and it's a parable, and Jesus is trying to illustrate. Guys, this is really important. Like the whole, this is what Christianity following me hinges on. He says, you know what? You have been forgiven all of this. Thus, you should forgive others. Let me finish with this. Paul in Colossians chapter 13, that, that he's writing about how we in our sin nature that we put on the clothes of the world. We put on greed. We put on lust. We put, we, we put on uh, anger and all of these kind of things. And then he goes and in, in, in quite eloquently says, you know what? Take those things off and put on the clothes that, that uh, God provides you. It says, close yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Many years ago, I posted on Facebook, I asked a question, would you prefer to have justice or mercy? And one of my friends responded, mercy for myself, justice for everyone else. That's how we feel. Now, he foolishly put it on Facebook, unfriended him, and, and uh, very judgmental. Uh, but that's really it, right? We want mercy. Oh, I, I didn't mean it. I messed up. But when it comes to us, we want our pound of flesh. And I think it's really difficult for those of us who are taking following Jesus seriously, like we really like the whole turn the other cheek and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're like, all right, God, how do I do that? When somebody wrongs me, how do I turn the other cheek? How do, how do, how do, I, how do I live this out? And I think that it makes it even more difficult when when we see things that, that we don't have any experience with, like what's happening in Baltimore and Ferguson and, and, and other places around our country. And again, I don't know what our response should be to those things, but this is what I do know, that we have been called to be people who hurt for righteousness, that we hurt because we want people to experience rightness with God and in their communities and in their environment. And we may, the situations are going to change and, and the, the, the people are going to change, but we as people of God, even if we don't understand, we need to understand that, that there are people who are 
experiencing an existence outside of righteousness. And that we are the people that God has chosen, the holy people that set aside for God's purpose. And he says we should hurt when we see people who are not experiencing this righteousness. And we should invite them in to experience the abundant life that God has envisioned for them. Will you guys pray with me? Thank you.